This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. That time I knew what to say. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our sermon series uh, from now up until Easter, where we'll culminate with I am the resurrection and the life. We are looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of John. And so this morning we'll be looking at I am the good shepherd. And so like previous weeks, we'll start with the important background. And the reason is, is because while it's always important, it seems especially important with these that we understand the background because as we understand the background, the gravity of the statements themselves make itself apparent. We realize how stunning it would have been for Jesus to say these things in the way that he said them. We understand that they're not random. We've seen in the last two weeks that Jesus doesn't just decide out of nowhere that he wants to come up with some new imagery, some new metaphor, but rather this imagery has been all throughout the Old Testament and it would be very familiar to his audience. And so first I wanna start off with some background that leads us up to the good shepherd and then three implications. All right, so that's what we're gonna do today. First background and then three implications. Jesus uses a Palestinian sheep farming metaphor and then expands the features by three images. First, gate, and then shepherd, and then sheep. But who is Jesus speaking to? Jesus is primarily speaking here to the religious leaders. And if we go back to chapter nine, at the beginning of chapter nine, we see that Jesus healed a blind man, a man that could not see. 
Jesus heals him. And then for something like 40 verses, Jesus debates with the Pharisees on who he thinks he is and what in the world he's doing. 40 verses. And what's interesting about this is that as the chapter goes on, the blind man, his sight becomes clearer and clearer. And the religious leader's sight becomes darker and darker. And then at the end of chapter nine, coming in to chapter 10, Jesus tells them exactly who he is and what he thinks he's doing. And he starts here in chapter 10, verse one, with truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And that's actually really important. Probably the most important background from the Old Testament out of many passages we could have gone to would be Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, Jesus, I'm sorry, is the Lord is berating the shepherds of Israel. He is attacking them. He's had enough. And the reason he's attacking them is because they, they're not serving and leading the sheep for the good of the sheep, which is their task, but rather they are using the sheep for their own good. They are mistreating the sheep. You see, that's exactly what was happening in chapter nine. The religious leaders were mistreating the sheep. In fact, they act like they are trying to figure out what happened as they're talking to the blind man, asking him about his testimony. If you go back in chapter nine, at the end, when they don't get the answer they want, they kick the man out. They kick him to the curb. They don't receive him. They don't lead him. They try to use him. And when he doesn't give them what they want, they kick him out. And so Jesus takes them to this imagery. And I wanna read just a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 34 to give us some of this background. Starting in verse 10, the Lord says, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. You see what happened? He says, you were tasked to feed the sheep. No more for you because you weren't feeding the sheep. You were feeding yourselves. He says, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So this imagery is that the shepherds were devouring God's people when they were meant to protect them from being devoured. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them with good pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land And on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. All of these things the Lord says, I will do. And it's in this background that Jesus says, oh, by the way, I am the good shepherd. That's me. 
So if you heard this, these teachings are teaching on the I am statements, you know that because of the grammatical construction, we understand that Jesus is making a statement that he is God. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. Actually, it's that and it fits in to these overarching themes from the Old Testament. And so it would not have been lost on them that Jesus, who's primarily speaking to the religious leaders who are more interested in using the sheep rather than nurturing and guarding them, it's to them that Jesus says, hey, I am the good shepherd. I am the Lord. I am the one who has come. Here I am. I'm seeking out my people. I'm protecting my people. I will lead my people. That's the context. That's the background that Jesus says this in. So with that today, we're going to see three implications succinctly. First, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Then the good shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. And then the good shepherd gives himself for his sheep. So first, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus paints this picture. It was common in this day where shepherds would stand outside a pen. That's that's what I have envisioned. It's an area of a fenced off place where multiple families, multiple shepherds would have their sheep in there. And then the shepherd would come and stand outside of the gate and call to his sheep. Now, when he called to them, it was a peculiar sound, one that his sheep understood, one that his sheep responded to, but not those who weren't his. But then Jesus says, Not only is there this sound, this general calling, but there's a specific calling. I'm calling my sheep by their name, individually, calling my sheep out. So it's not just that they know my voice, they do, but they also know their name and they hear me calling it and they respond because I know them. So he calls his sheep individually. This is not a general sound or a general calling but this is a very specific calling to his sheep. Now I would say, if you are a sheep, if you are a follower of Jesus, this happened to you. It wasn't a general sermon. It wasn't a general call to faith. But when you heard the gospel and you responded, that was the Lord calling you specifically by name. You may not remember it, but it happened. And you follow Jesus because you know his voice. And this is the beauty of Christianity, right? A child can respond to a voice that they know. You don't have to be intelligent. In fact, sometimes that's against you. Even a child can respond to a voice that it knows. Many of you have experienced this with my children out here in the foyer after church. Uh, My littlest, my Scarlett, who's two and a half, Line of sight is much lower, so maybe like kneecaps on me. So she kind of walks out of the elevator and she'll see me mingling and she'll walk in the general direction to me, but then she stops looking up and she just looks straight. And apparently many times people have pants that, or shoes that she thinks look like mine. And I'll watch her walk up to someone and just grab onto their leg, right? We've all seen kids do this and it's not my leg. And she doesn't know this and it can last for a few seconds, And the person who's looking down will say something and she looks up and immediately she says, that's not my dad. And she freaks out and she lets go. And I call to her and immediately she looks at me and she runs 
towards me. You see, she understood when she heard the voice of whose leg she had, it was not me. But when I called to her out of a room full of people, she looks right at me and she runs to me. Even a child can respond to the voice of their father. And so it's Jesus who's calling us out. And then in verse four, when he's brought out all of his sheep, he says, I then go before them. You see, unlike Western shepherds that drive the sheep, usually by a sheepdog or some other means, in this day and age, and even in Australia and some places still, the shepherd leads his sheep. He doesn't drive the sheep. And this is actually a perfect illustration of the master-disciple relationship. We understand that if we are disciples of Jesus, he doesn't drive us, he leads us. He doesn't whip us. He calls us. He beckons us. He woos us. He says, follow me. We saw it last week when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we understand that the light was referring back to God's leading his people in Exodus. By day, with a cloud. By night, by a pillar of fire. Either way, it was God leading them. They were to follow him. And now Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd. Same imagery. Follow me. Come with me. Now, if we reflect on this, we understand that we like the idea of having a shepherd, right? Don't we like that? Someone to take care of us, someone to lead us when life is confusing. But if we go a step further and are really honest with ourselves, I think oftentimes what we really want rather than a shepherd is an advisor who's on retainer, right? When we think we need help at that point, we can just call that person, text that person, email that person and say, I need you. And then after we feel as though they've let us out to where we want to be, we then say, thank you. I'll call you if I need you again. This is how I live most days of my life. I come to the Lord in the morning, surrender, needing him, and then by noon, I realize I've done more thinking about him than talking to him. And I've lived most of my day in fear rather than following the shepherd who offers me protection and peace and comfort. I find myself scared. I find myself living like an orphan. I find myself being driven by expectations that are whipping me and chasing me and napping at my heels rather than following, rather than surrendering. But that's what Jesus says the good shepherd does as he calls us. Now, on one hand, this can be scary, right? Because the shepherd knows every aspect of our life. You realize sheep are dumb. If you've ever heard a sermon on sheep, or you know anything about sheep, they are really dumb. And we all are like that. Spiritually, we are dumb, right? We, we are clueless. We have no idea what we want. We have no idea. But yet Jesus, the good shepherd, says, after you admit that, you also must realize that there's no room in your life. There's no compartment that I don't know about. You see, every single one of us, Jesus knows us by name, right? But we're all sheep, but we all have specific like sheepishness, stupidity, idols, desires that are misconstrued, all unique to us, to our story, 
to our insecurities. And Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't just know your sheepness. He doesn't just know you as a sheep. He knows your individual sheepness. He knows everything about you. And here, although that's scary, here's the good part, is that that is the deepest longing you have is to be completely known and accepted. And Jesus, who's the good shepherd, can be trusted. And that's what he's saying. You can trust me. I don't drive you. I call you. I know you by name. I've heard a story uh, where a man was driving in his car uh, through uh, the back country and he came across uh, a bunch of sheep on the road and he saw the shepherd standing there and he realized it was gonna be a while so he gets out of his car and decides to strike up conversation with the shepherd. And in small talk, knowing he has absolutely no idea about what this man does, he just says, so uh, you got a lot of sheep, how many sheep do you have? And the shepherd says, I don't know. And a little confused, he says, what do you mean you don't know? How do you know if any of your sheep are missing? He says, well, I don't know how many I have, but I know every one of them. And so if one of them was missing, I would know. Jesus knows. Jesus knows you individually. The good shepherd knows. He knows all of us. So the first implication of him being the good shepherd is that he knows. The next implication is that he will protect and provide for his sheep. Verse six, Pharisees still don't get it. So Jesus decides to use a couple new metaphors. It's important just as a side note, this is not one parable. When I try to read this as one parable, I was really confused, but then I found out it's not. There's different imagery. So one through five, same group of people, same story. But because they don't understand it, Jesus uses two other metaphors in the second part of this passage. So now Jesus is the door, right? And to enter into the door is to enter into life with the shepherd. In the scriptures, door symbolizes security and plenty. So let's look at verse nine. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So here, Jesus says he provides protection and provision. He says, they will be saved. They will be safe. They will be secure. And then he says, he'll lead them in and out and find pasture. Now this is covenant language. If you read the Old Testament, God is leading his people in and out of pasture. We, we saw it in Psalm 23, this imagery of God leading his people, but where? Into rich and beautiful and plentiful pastures. This is security. This is provision. This is care. This is, as Jesus says, abundance, abundant life. Now, there are many, many things that are trying to get us to be distracted from abundant life. Jesus calls them robbers who would distract, who would steal. And why does that work? Well, it works because all of us want security. All of us want security and we'll do anything to get it. But what's interesting is unless we follow Jesus, all of our means to gain security and control of our life will fail us and will leave us without life. But Jesus says, no, I am the door. I am the one, the shepherd, I am the door. I am the one who leads you in and leads you out and takes you to green pastures. And I didn't come to steal and kill like those shepherds we read about in Ezekiel 34, like the shepherds that we read about in the chapter before this. 
but I am the one who will lead into abundant life. And so Jesus says, I came to give abundant life and abundant life is overflowing. It's more life than needed. It's an exorbitant amount of life. It's not just, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I, I should be good for a while. No, abundant life is overflowing. Abundant life is life that leads to mission. And why is that? Because when you have overflowing life, you cannot help but take it out into the world. And that, in fact, is exactly where the good shepherd will lead us. Because if we make our mission about our own security, you will be bored. You will be absolutely bored and you'll ruin your life. And I will ruin my life. If our lives become about ourselves, about our own security, about our own mission, and not outward and not following, we will be bored and we will be robbed of life. And we are sold everywhere all the time that that actually is life, that that actually is security. If we would just focus on ourselves, if we could just get us secure, that would be a life of joy. That would be a life of fulfillment. But at expense of what? Relationships, service, joy, life, true connection, adventure, courage, being a part of something that's much, much larger than you. You see, abundant life is a life of joy. It is a life of fulfillment. It is a life of deep relationships. And the apex of abundant life is worshiping Jesus, not merely following him or admiring him, but worshiping him. Let that sink in. Worship. Jesus. There's a reason why in verse 20, which we didn't read, everyone looks at him and at each other and says, he is crazy. This man is insane. But it was to a specific thing that he said, and that's the third implication. So first implication, the good shepherd knows his sheep, then the good shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. And now the good shepherd gives himself for his sheep. Verse eight, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. You see, Jesus is not a messianic pretender who promises people freedom, but who leads them into suffering and slavery. He actually lays down his life for his sheep. Now this laying down of life is intentional. So the picture is not of Jesus, the shepherd, who just wants to display how much he loves his sheep. So he looks at a sheep and says, I'm gonna show you how much I love you and just walks off a cliff and dies for them, right? That would be useless. That's not at all what's happening. The picture is this. The laying down of life is intentional. It's that the sheep are actually in mortal danger and that in their defense, the shepherd loses his life and by his death, they're saved. We are in mortal danger of false shepherds who would make us believe that stuff and things will save us. As I talk to people, I hear so many gospels, right? Everybody knows they have problems. Everyone knows that the world has fallen. We can call it different things, but if you just listen long enough, Because we're made in the image of God, people will say, and this is my hope. They may not use that language, but they will present their gospel. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If it's not my gospel, it will lead to more suffering. It will lead to more death. And here's the beautiful thing. 
is that if we would follow this imagery, we actually would be in trouble if the shepherd died for us because then what would happen? We would have no shepherd. The shepherd would die for us and would save us then, but now what? We're sheep, we're dumb. Where do we go? What do we do? Well, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, I lay, my, I lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again. And this is the point when many who heard Jesus, verse 20 said, he is insane. And the reason isn't because he said he could lay his life down. I hope you would lay your life down for something. I would lay my life down for my family. I would die for my children. But if I then were to say, oh, and by the way, I have authority to raise my life up again. I don't think so. You see, everyone has the authority to lay down their lives, but to take it up again? See, Jesus is the good shepherd and he dies for his sheep, his broken, empty-handed, wandering, failing, weak, dumb, simple sheep. His disobedient sheep. And then, guess what? He takes his life back up again and now As the resurrected shepherd, he still leads us. You see, that's the amazing thing. That's the beautiful thing. Jesus dies for a sheep, but then he's raised again. And now we are not shepherdless. We are not orphans. Now, moment by moment, day by day, we can be led into mission, into joy, into life. Only the good shepherd can do that. Only the good shepherd can be trusted because he knows your individual sheepness. Wherever you are now, he knows you, he knows that, he loves you and he still calls you because the cross, it was enough even for you and for me. And now we're free to follow him with joy and into life. Let's pray. Father, we often sell our desires and dreams to things that are are weak and not sturdy and finite. And we continue to trust those things and they fail us over and over. But the hope we have in you is that you know us, you know our proclivities, you know our unique temptations and you still love us and you know us and you call us. We praise you that you lay down your life for us, that you sacrifice yourself for us. You then were raised and now you still call us to follow you, us. Our sin, our shame was put on you on the cross. You paid for it, you took it, you gave us your life and righteousness. So we give our lives to you now in Jesus' name.